0: You ready for your terrible joke? My dog used to uh, to chase people uh, on a bike a lot. It got so bad that I finally had to take away the bike. Let's see, are there any... Yeah, there's too many younger people present for another joke that I had in my heart, but okay. This is a... This sermon feels um, almost like getting down on my knees, putting my arm around someone who's going through a hard time and, and yelling encouragement through tears. Um, I don't want this to be a downer of a sermon, but it, it might feel like a bit of a downer of a, ser- a sermon, but I'm, the heart of everything that I'm wanting to do here is encouragement. So let's pray before I start. Holy Spirit, will you inspire all of us to see Jesus very clearly in this next 25, 35 minutes or whatever it is? Inspire us. Holy Spirit, put power on this message that it would bring encouragement and the comfort of the Holy Spirit that hope would rise in every heart in Jesus' name. Picture Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane with me. He's kneeling. He's praying. He's weeping. His hands are outstretched and his soul is in, is in agony. He's crying. He's not just crying, he's sobbing. He's snotting. He's terrified. He's exhausted. And more than anything, what he wants, he wants comfort. He wants his boys with him. But more than anything, what he wants is to run. But he refuses to quit. He refuses to turn. He refuses to back away from what Abba has set before him. The devil and and the devil's demons are going to do their worst. But Jesus simply will not quit. He has resolve that goes beyond reason. Beyond reasoning. And it doesn't come from reasoning. Reasoning. John 14, 31, the world must learn that I love the Father. John 12, 27, what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. Father, glorify your name. Matthew 26, 38, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. And going on a little farther, he fell on his face, and he prayed, saying, My father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Hebrews 12.4, in your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your life's blood. And now the sermon. He knows. He knows the temptation befalling you. He knows the hardship befalling you. He knows the season of endurance. He knows the calling upon you. None of the struggle you're experiencing is foreign to him. And none of it's as hard as what he endured. He overcame. He never quit. And he never turned and ran. Hardship is not the same thing as failure. Discouragement is not defeat. Weariness is not the same as quitting. It's not over. Just don't quit. Find a new prayer. Instead of, oh God, why is this happening? Oh God, this is so hard. Oh God, what does this mean? Find a new prayer. God, you're worth it. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 7 through 10. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. Of Melchizedek in the book of Hebrews goes on to talk about how he's perfectly able to sympathize with us in our times of trouble because he's himself been tempted at all points, just like we are, yet without sin. And so, so then what? Let us draw near to the throne of grace. Since we are remembering Jesus, since we're seeing our situation clearly because we see his situation as our example and the pioneer, the one who went first, now we can, we can, remembering this, we can rise up in our faith in the midst of the trouble and draw near to the throne of grace to find the help we need yes. to overcome. Not to escape, to overcome. In his time walking in our shoes, Jesus offered up prayers, with loud cries and tears, which is, of course, beautiful to the heart, walking through the loud crying and <laughs> tearing season. And he was heard. He was saved, but not from experiencing death, rather, he was saved out of death. Death didn't have the final word, love did, life did. Jesus is exalted on high now because of how he humbled himself then. And his obedience, his submission, his endurance, his suffering, his willingness to put self in the back seat and God's will in the front seat is overflowing right now in terms of life and peace and grace to all of us. And Jesus was not bulletproof. He offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. He didn't always win. He wasn't always strong. He didn't always understand. He wasn't unmoved or unaffected. He wasn't impervious. He knew discouragement. He knew loneliness. He knew temptation. He knew betrayal. He knows what it feels like to have the God who called you into being call you to something that just plain looks too hard and too big. And too much. He knows what it feels like to despair and feel abandoned by the very one who gave you life. And Jesus, in the middle of that pain, in the middle of those moments of struggle and doubt and wrestling with his own soul, in order to come to a place of surrender, he did what? He cried loudly, messy prayers. Prayers that were disturbed and prayers that are disturbing to observe. The kind, of, the kind of crying that a wounded animal makes. I'm not talking about like church prayers. I'm not like talking about like prayers you would write in a devotional book. I'm talking about prayers that make other people go, I don't like this. I don't want to be around this. I'm feeling lots of pain now just by virtue of seeing how much pain this person is in. That kind of prayers. The kind of prayers we don't want other people to see us pray, you know what I mean? On the basis of this, of what I see in Jesus, on the basis of that, I want to make some observations. There is a kind of faith that feels like unbelief. There is a kind of prayer that sounds like an accusation against the Almighty. There's a kind of surrender that looks like an argument. And there is a united heart that sounds divided. I want this, but I will this. And there is a kind of commitment that actually broaches the, the temptation to leave. And there's a feeling of being down in it that is a part of getting over it. You with me? What I'm saying is that suffering and hope are not incompatible. They're not mutually exclusive. You find them together in real faith. In fact, when hope begins to fade, one of the things that we do is accept numbness. And when hope begins to return, the numbness begins to leave, which means the pain begins to awaken. So many of us live between restlessness and asleep. Faith puts a soul at rest and a body in motion. When we begin to wake up to hope and to dream again, one of the first things we encounter is the pain that put us to sleep in the first place. And that pain has many names. But one of the big names for that pain is the word disappointment. Disappointment does not have a shelf life. It doesn't go away if you just outlast it, outweigh it. Time doesn't necessarily heal all things. But waking up to hope, we find old wounds and atrophied muscles, and now we have to push through the pain of rehab. So gateways waking up, old dreams being made new again, and counting the cost, and ready to build, and ready to grow again. And don't be surprised if that means now you have to push through the pain of rehab. Repetition and discipline and discomfort and learning to submit your soul and your body to your spirit and tell yourself no and tell yourself yes and tell yourself get up when you don't want to get up and tell yourself don't stop moving forward when everything in you says let's take another rest. Carrie said, uh, how? How do we heal? How do we endure? Three essentials. Number one, essential to healing and moving on. Number one, our willingness to enter into our pain and feel our feelings. Number two, our willingness to invite God into our pain and to invite others into our pain. And number three, our willingness to keep moving forward. Keep seeking Jesus. Pressing on, says Paul. This one thing I do, I forget what's behind and I press on toward what's ahead. I'm laying hold of him who laid hold of me. Interestingly enough, Hebrews 3.13 says, Encouraging one another daily. And Philippians 3.13 is about pressing on. And those are two of the things on my list of three. I thought I was going to preach about Hebrews 3.13 today, encouraging one another daily. I know we have this calling on our house to be an equipping, training, sending center, but how is that ever going to happen if you're not a committed group of of close-knit body, right? And sometimes I've noticed attendance at Sunday morning church seems to be something that we apparently think is optional. But it's not optional. It's about the holiness of the Lord. It's, something to, it's a command of Scripture to obey, not something to feel like, yeah, I'm under grace, it's all good. And we think that's legalistic to show up at church every week when the, when the Scriptures actually say, not only don't you forsake the gathering, but to encourage each other daily. A church is daily. A church is about you encouraging each other daily, you remembering daily, you remembering that sin could harden and shipwrecks your brother. It's not just about me and Jesus. It's about us all together. I thought that was what I was going to preach today, but this got real big in my heart. But what are the three? We have to the willingness to enter into our pain and feel our feelings, the willingness to invite God and others into our pain and and receive encouragement and help from them, and number three, the willingness, not it's not even the willingness, it's the resolve and and willing to get up and seek Jesus and keep moving forward. Keep moving. Moving forward. Not looking back. Not figuring it out. Not finding our way to understand it all. But pressing on toward Jesus. Knowing he understands it all. Amen. And whenever we go through trials. Like I said earlier in the, in the prayer time. God's the one on trial. So when we're in life's Gethsemane. Those three things that I said. That are essential to moving on. All three of those are the opposite tendency. Number one. The the tendency to numb ourselves and avoid our feelings. And get into distracting pursuits. Anything and any, just anything that doesn't hurt, that, that covers it over. So we don't have to look at it and don't have to think about it. Number two, staying on the surface with other people. Pulling away from other people, avoiding other people, pushing people away. And number three, taking back control of our lives. Because if you're not actively, I'm serious, if you're not actively with discipline and hunger, seeking Jesus daily, guess what's going on? You're taking back control of your life. Other desires automatically become what you're seeking. Other things, other pursuits. It's not like suddenly you're like, I changed my mind, take my, take my name off the, the roster of heaven. That doesn't happen. There's not a moment where there's this big thing where you're like, I'm turning my back on the Lord. No, it's called drift. Drift. But if you're not pressing on in the midst of the trial to seeking Jesus, to hearing him, to finding his will for the day, to walking closely with him, then you're already drifting. That's right. The way through, feel your feelings, invite others and God in and press on. The, w- the way not through, numb yourself, avoid your feelings, stay on the surface, avoid people, push them away. And number three, take back control of your life. Because again, whatever we, whenever we go through trials, God is the one on trial. And that's what it means to have our faith tested. Recently, God asked Brian Zook, correct me if I don't get this quote correct, Do you believe that I withhold good from you? Is that right? It was a searching question. And then he had to ask himself Do I, am I, even though I wouldn't say that again on a theology test, is my heart saying that? He shared that with me, and that really sparked something in, in, in my then conversation with the Lord, like the next day. Listen, listen to these scriptures Psalm 37:4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What things? food and clothing, etc., etc. Psalm 84, 11. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. No good thing does he withhold. So if it's being withheld, who's withholding it? I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, really, asking, I'm really answering the question, well, it ain't God. Life's complicated, but it ain't him. Genesis 15, one, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, don't be afraid, Abraham, I am your shield, your very great reward. So what's the reward? Psalm thirty four ten. young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. So if I could summarize everything that I just said real quick. No good thing do I withhold from those whose walk is blameless. I take care of those who take care to seek me first. I'm a shield to those who keep faith when the promise delays. You who seek me will not lack for any good thing. If your delight is in me, you have all the backing of heaven. The very desires of your heart, without you asking, will become a prayer to me that I will anticipate and respond to. Have you ever had God answer prayers you didn't remember to pray? You didn't verbalize them, you just felt them, and you didn't even realize you prayed them? Because he's good. Faith is not a way to avoid suffering. Faith is remaining connected to God's love no matter what. I feel like I want to say that again, even though you heard me the first time, just because it feels good to confess the truth. Faith is not a way to avoid suffering. Faith is remaining connected to God's love no matter what. And if you don't think that remaining connected to God's love changes things significantly, you're wrong. But if you think faith makes everything easy, you're also wrong. But no matter what you and I are going through, God's been through it all. And He's not here causing it. And He's not here judging. He's not here with a finger to point. He's here to help. Just because it happened doesn't mean it's what He wanted to happen. His plan is not betrayal, loss, cancer, death, etc., etc., His plan is love. His plan is you and I loving like Jesus loved. His plan is you and I receiving this love that laid its life down for us to free us from living under the power of this thing, from living under the mathematical cause and effect thing that happens in the universe, and break us out of that and get us into something else. His plan is love that lays its life down for those who curse, resist, deny, mock, spit, betray, and murder. His plan is resurrection, forgiveness, help, the mercy seat, the arms of love, the balm of Gilead, the blood of Jesus spilled for our sins but not just ours, also for the sins of those who sin against us. His plan is us not succumbing to the bitterness and the resentment and the shunning of those who hurt us and disappoint us. His plan is not for us to be worn down and wearied to the point of fatigue to where we become ineffective. But His his plan is for us to bear fruit that will last. Fruit that is not in any way dependent on our circumstances or what anyone else on the planet is doing. His plan is Jesus' body broken so that our weakness, our illnesses, frailty, and even our death itself would be laid on him, and through him, it would all be healed. Early in the book of Hebrews, uh, it says that everything on earth was designed to be under humanity's authority. And then it says this interesting little thing. It says, right now we don't see all things subject to humanity. But we see Jesus. That's interesting. In other words, life doesn't look on planet Earth like God wants at all. But Jesus looks like God wants. We don't see life going the way we or God want it to go right now, but we both see Jesus. We see love come down. We see the divine rescue. We see undeserved and unearned and undeservable and unearnable friendship. We see a father who runs to meet us as we wearily make our way back home from our detours. We see a way out, a way back, a way to belong again, a way of peace. And if we really look, if we really look, we see the very meaning of our lives. Our lives are little miniature stories that sound a lot like the gospel if we pay close attention, which is less about winning and more about sacrifice. It's an underdog story. And it's a love story. It's a hard fought battle, and he never gives up. And we never give up. This might not feel very encouraging when I say it this way, but man, it feels encouraging to me, so I pray it does. We may lose the battle, and we may lose the war, and we may lose the day, we may lose the week, or the year, or the decade. But we will not lose. We. Because we endure. And in that victory, the survival of we, the victory of we, us together and us with God, in that victory is the ultimate victory. And in that victory, the tide begins to turn in all the other little battles. But that doesn't mean that we don't lift up prayers with loud cries and tears. Because we're still in the middle of this little underdog story. 2 Corinthians 4. You can go ahead and stand. This will be my benediction. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And at the conclusion of this, if you're like, yeah... I'm gonna take, I want to take some steps here. I want to take some steps. I want to take some steps to intentionally feel my feelings, admit this is not fun, this is what's going on. I want to let people and God in and I want to press on, like those three things. As a sign of that, some of you might want to come up here as a sign of that instead of just making those sort of little inner resolutions. Some of us just don't do well with personal private commitments without other people knowing about it. Some do. Some of you are like super, uber disciplined, but most of us aren't. 2 Corinthians 4. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this surpassing power belongs to God and not us. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but never forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the flesh the death of Jesus. Yeah, you know what I mean? Don't you feel like a lot of us just kind of want to carry around the resurrection power of Jesus without having to carry around the death of Jesus in our bodies? It doesn't work like that always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus might also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus might be manifested in our mortal flesh. I don't mean to preach, but like, if you think of your life with self-reference, you won't understand. If you pray in the morning, I hope this is a good day. I hope my dreams are fulfilled you won't understand because he's pouring us out like like his son for his purposes. The prayer has got to switch. Since we're baptized, the prayer has got to switch. And don't hear me saying don't dream, but I'm saying the dreams have to be conditioned by the gospel. You, You dream different dreams when you're dreaming with God than when you're dreaming for yourself. Always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus might be manifested in our mortal flesh, so that death is at work in us, but life is at work in others. That's the purpose of God. The poor me prayer, the poor poor me prayer is in charge of its life. It's not baptized, it's an unbaptized prayer. I'm dead. I'm now alive. In a different way. I'm sorry to preach. I'm just trying to read this. So death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, so we believe and we speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and bring us with you. I love that. There's not a me and Jesus thing going on in the the, the Bible, really. It's not a me and Jesus thing. It's a Jesus in every one of his people thing. Yes. Yes. It's not individuals getting home to heaven. It's a great traveling party, and when someone falls behind, we find a way to yes. go get them. Because yes. the only way to get there is together. Why am I preaching? I'm trying really hard to end this. It's for your sake. comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen for the things that are seen are transient but the things that are unseen are eternal what you're going through is a vapor who you're walking with is concrete foundational unshakable it's a kingdom that'll never be shaken it cannot be shaken it can't be stolen can't be diminished. Guys, we're on offense anyway. And the enemy wants to flip it and make us feel like we're the ones battered down, hiding in our little shelter with battering rams and flaming arrows, and and they're outlasting us. And Jesus said, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of Hades won't be able to withstand against your attack. Amen. Amen. Amen.